Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. We'll talk about engagement tonight, so if you're feeling engaged with my content, why not share it with your friends or head over to the website, onenightinproduct.com, check out some of my other great episodes. And don't forget to sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on the podcast app of your choice to make sure you never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we take the high-altitude view of product management and head to the Rocky Mountains to talk about mixing qualitative and quantitative insights to ensure you're making the best product decisions. We talk about a new engagement metric and whether it replaces or enhances good old NPS. And we also try to work out if it's a good thing or a bad thing to be a product manager when all your users are product managers. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Stephanie Tanza. Stephanie is a former museum photographer, current pasta maker and passionate problem solver who loves to create amazing experiences. Stephanie lives in the mountains above Denver and now also has the world of product management at her feet as the director of product management at Pendo, where she loves using metrics to inform outcome-driven decision-making. Stephanie dislikes long rambling stories, so I'm already in trouble, but I promise I'll do my best to make up for it. Hi Stephanie, how are you tonight? I'm good, Jason. How are you? I am fine, although I do think I may have rambled a little bit there, but it's okay. <laughs> we'll pull it back. Now, you're not the first Pendoza to come on the show. That's right. But just for the record, and in your own words, who are Pendo and what problem do you solve? Yeah, Pendo is a product management platform that helps product managers like myself and hopefully those that are listening really understand their users, how their users are, are behaving within their product. And gives you the ability to do in-app walkthroughs, guides, you can run betas, A-B tests, all using our functionality. So it's an amazing product. I've actually been following it since it founded and really excited to, to be here today and, and to be at this company and helping this product evolve. I will compare notes with Christine's interview as well, just to make sure that your answers <laughs> are, are both on spec. You said obviously yourself that you've fairly recently joined the company. I think you've been there for nine months or so, give or take. Yeah, about seven and a half. Seven and a half. Okay. So not quite nine months, but nearly. And you're the director of product management there. So how does the product team work there? Is it, are you in charge of everything? Are you kind of in charge of a bit of it? Does product ops come into you? How is that laid out? Yeah, no, great question. So my product area that I manage is our guidance or in-app messaging part of the product analytics, so the product analytics piece, as well as enterprise. So any enterprise capabilities that we need to bring in, that's all, all me. And so I have a team of product managers. Each of them are really running part of this world. So product ops is a partner with us. They help us do everything. So when, as we focus on prioritization and ensuring that our roadmap is good and that we're building the right thing, product ops is there to ensure that we don't have any blind spots, that we are hearing the voice of the customer, that we understand what our own stakeholders are saying so that we don't run into any issues where our roadmap is just not aligned with where we need to go as a company. So there are a bunch of other directors of product management for different product lines. Is that fair to say in some form of CPO or VP or something above that? Is, is that more or less how it's laid out? Exactly. Yes, we have a head of product, Brian, uh, and he has several uh, folks that are across the organization running our feedback, uh, running mobile, um, etc. And obviously Pendo are really big in the Raleigh scene and you know, the tech hub of North Carolina. 
And you're in, as we said earlier, you're in Denver or just near Denver. You're in Colorado, up in the mountains. Now, obviously, there's so much buzz around North Carolina and Raleigh at the moment. Is this a permanent remote move or is it more of a lockdown thing and you're going to up sticks and head to (laughs) the East Coast at some point? Yeah, no, great question. I love Raleigh. Raleigh is an amazing place. This, me living in Denver is probably for for the good. Um, I go out to Raleigh about once a month or so, but recently moved into our dream home. And I don't see us really uprooting ourselves and moving to Raleigh anytime soon, though if they begged, maybe I would consider. (laughs) It must be quite nice to be up there in the mountains at the moment, kind of a bit abstracted from the rest of the world and the big cities and stuff like that then. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I mean, I can can hike. I could hike right outside my door, which is amazing. Um, I feel bad for all the folks that are in cities, you know, cities, the best part of it is being able to walk out your house, get a cup of coffee, and then go about your day. And, and this has just been quite the transition of the last year. Yeah, well, hopefully that'll be coming to an end soon. But Pendo is on a bit of a growth journey at the moment, as far as I understand, very, you know, expanding very rapidly, building out quite a lot. It must be quite a busy time to be working there. And you're there, as you say, leading the product team for one of its integral parts. Mm-hmm. So what's it like being in such a hyper-growth situation and being the director of product for, for such a high-growth area? Yeah, it is, it is so fun. I mean, when I look at stages of companies, my favorite stage to work at is that scaling stage where you found product market fit and now you have to scale it so that you can become a really successful grown-up company. And the problems, the challenges that I get to face on a daily basis are, are some of my favorite problems. What type of enterprise capabilities do we have to put in the products in order to, to be able to sell effectively? At this point, there's thousands of requests, there's thousands of, of inputs, <laughs> and they're all big. And you have to figure out what are, what are the right things for us to focus on right now. And so far, it's just been probably the favorite part of my career to date has been the last seven months. And have you worked at... Uh earlier stage companies in your career or is it always I know you work for VMware for example so you've obviously worked in later stage companies but have you ever worked in really urgent early startups or has it always been that kind of scale up or beyond pretty much scale up or beyond so I worked at Rally Software as my first big job out of school and they were probably a 200 people or so when I joined they went public then they got acquired by CA. So I, I got to see that that journey of working for a 200-person company to a 500-person company, then to 15,000-person company. And same story with my previous role at Carbon Black. It was a, probably 800 to 1,000 when I joined, went public, and then unfortunately got... Well, or fortunately got bought by VMware. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. But is it easier to say no when you've got so many users? I mean, you're talking about that big pipe of feature requests and stuff that's coming in and again when you're in that hyper growth mode and have so many different varied customers i'm sure that there are some really wacky ones that come through as well from time to time and obviously product management 101 will say yeah you have to say no to everything and obviously depending on your company and the the culture of the company that can be difficult depending on how that works out but with the amount of customers you have and the kind of growth trajectory you're on is it easy to say no to some of those requests or do you have to really pour over every single one of them yeah i i tend to not necessarily think of it as saying no to everything or i'm saying yes to just a handful of things and so 
I find it relatively easy to, I mean, I want to hear the feedback. I, I want to have that empathy for my customers and I want to communicate our direction and where we're taking this thing so that I can get feedback from them. But I think it is part of the job that you, know, you hear these requests, you take them down, you understand them. But the answer is usually, hey, it's not going to happen over the course of the next six to 12 months. We'll collect the feedback and, and we'll look at our trend to understand what we need to do. So it's, it's a little bit more, it's not quite saying no to things, if it sounds. Well, it kind of is and it kind of isn't, right? Yeah. But do you feel that it's easier or harder having a client base, which is all product managers and product leaders? And like, <laughs> on the one hand, obviously, they share a lot of your pain and they kind of understand that not everything's a yes and that you have to make prioritization calls and keep to your strategy and stuff like that. On the other hand, they know all your secrets and ways to evade them as well. So, <laughs> so <laughs> is it true. easier working with product managers because they have that shared understanding with you? Or do you feel that they're in some ways just as demanding as any other random customer type that you may have dealt with in the past? Yeah, I would say that they tend to be just as demanding, but also <laughs> okay with having that conversation. The best way to obviously say no or to talk about a feature is to explain the logic behind it. And when you explain that logic and you talk to them, they understand and they'll give the feedback and um, sometimes they'll push hard. And, and of course, we have sometimes when our account team has a commitment request that we need to, to respond to. But in, in general, I, talking to product managers is, is so delightful because they have so many cool ideas and you get to learn a lot from, from people just like you. Yeah, I think that kind of shared understanding and to some extent, I imagine camaraderie must be pretty helpful you know, because you're not talking a different language at least. But like you said before that, you were working in VMware, you were working at Rally Software, but when you started at Rally Software, you weren't a product manager at all. You were a software engineer. That's right. And I think actually you did a computer science degree as well uh, before that. So what was it that made you take the leap into product management at that point? Because Obviously, that's not something that all engineers can do, although it is obviously a fairly common path. So what sparked that interest in you? Yeah. So when I was in college going through my computer science degree, we didn't call it user experience. We called it human-computer interactions. And I just fell in love with this concept of understanding how users interact with computers and technology. My mom is a professor of anthropology. She's always studied the history of mankind from an anthropological standpoint. And I was very much interested in, in understanding how people use technology. And so I was, I was very close to applying for PhD programs in human-computer interaction. And I chose not to. I chose to go out into the industry. But as soon as I got to Rally and I started seeing this, this person who all they did was talk to users all the time and, and understand their needs and understand how to make technology better for them, it just made so much sense. And so I started down the path of becoming a user experience designer. I did a mentorship with the director, went through a process of, you know, it got to the point where I had 60% time as an engineer and 40% time as UX designer with the hope that I was going to make the leap to UX. And our product owner left the team. And she said, hey, Stephanie knows the user. She knows the software. She knows the technology and our stakeholders she should be product owner in the short term while you find the right person. That was the moment where I realized that 
product management career was not for someone that's been in the industry for five to 10 years that I could actually tackle this right now. So I jumped at the chance. I interviewed for the role, got the job, and, and really that's the origin story for me. That's really cool. And I think it's always interesting to see people coming in from, I wouldn't say non-traditional paths, because I'm not sure that there are many traditional paths. I mean, I guess there are a few more structured programs these days, but it's not still like a thing that you go to university for or anything like that. But you said, obviously, that you'd spent the time getting into the user experience stuff and concentrating on that a little bit. Did you find that once you got that role and once you've actually started to transition into being a quote-unquote proper product person that you then had to really skill up or was it a very natural progression like did you have to do any courses do any books uh, listen to any podcasts like how did you level up to get to the point where you were kind of a confident individual contributor in that sense yeah you know I'm trying to think about this because 10 years ago I don't know how many books existed about product management (laughs) yeah one or two maybe I don't know yeah, most of my learning actually came from reading blog posts and learning from my coworkers at the time, which was really helpful. I would say that I relied heavily on my my colleagues to help me understand. I think I had a decent natural tendency to understand the customer problems and to try to come up with something that, that solved the problem better. And so it, it did seem like it was a relatively easy transition. The big pain came from when I, I would say, went from product owner to product manager, wasn't managing a team and had to learn how to build effective relationships, ensure that my engineering team understood the context and the why behind the work as opposed to just moving quickly and and getting things done. And that was probably the biggest challenge of my career was I had gotten to the point I'd been promoted a couple of times. I was principal product manager, but I wasn't acting like it. And I had to learn how to be a product manager. That took a lot of time and, and an internal investigation as well. Yeah, it's uh, sure. As with all things product related, I'm sure there's a few kind of hiccups along the way, but that you use those then to drive the next iteration, so to speak, and make yourself better. I mean, that's certainly how I've tried to do it. But you're working at Pendo. You're working for a very data-driven organization and a company not just data-driven itself, but also that enables other companies to be data-driven. Why do you think, which I know you do, why do you think that data is so important for product managers? You know, can't we just (laughs) wing it, go with our guts? Yeah, you know, I I will say that we're never going to not use gut. Gut is really important. (laughs) If I ever see someone that is just too focused on pulling data and and only uses data to determine what they build and why, that tends to be a little bit of a red flag because I do think that there's a key important part of gut in this role and and, in these responsibilities. But on the flip side, if you're focused too much on, on your gut and you're only thinking about what you would do in this situation, you're not really collecting enough information about your users. You don't know what they're doing. Talking to users is a great form of data if you don't have any sort of behavioral analysis or, or any sort of technology. Go out and, and, and talk to people and get some data to, to help you inform where you're going and why. It's just so important to have to recognize that how you do things is not how the rest of the world does things necessarily. Yeah, the old like, oh yeah, that I, I especially in B2B, like the old... I used to be the customer type thing and just assuming that everyone would interact with this thing exactly the same as, as they used to. Mm-hmm. Especially in the world of Pendo, where my customers are product managers. <laughs> it actually helps, obviously, to say, well, this is how 
I've read all the books. I know, I know the right way to do product management, quote unquote. And so I could build a product that helps people do it the perfectest, rightest way. But it's, you know, the challenge is trying to meet people where they're at and helping them evolve and, and move forward. No, absolutely. But you've got a new metric at Pendo or fairly new that you've developed internally called the product engagement score. And I'll steal your thunder here and quote from the website that it's a metric that provides a singular view into how users are interacting with your product. That's based on adoption, stickiness, and growth. Now, I'm sure if I ran Pendo, I'd like people to have a score that was built out of all the metrics that my software could collect. So is this really a useful metric, or is it just a way to entice people into using Pendo? Yeah, it's it's a very useful metric in my opinion. You know, it is in development still, so we are taking feedback around it, but... What we found is that a lot of products companies, a lot of technology companies were building scores in order to understand the overall engagement of their product. And they were doing things like pulling in engagement numbers, adoption numbers. And I think at the end of the day, a net promoter score is, is a metric that everyone uses. And it's, it's probably one of the only behavioral metrics you actually see in boardrooms and executive level meetings and and it's a it's a great metric it does give you some really valuable information about your customers at the moment that they decide to to communicate their score and the recommendation but it really doesn't tell their whole the whole story it is focused it's it's subjective it's it's usually biased by some event that happened recently for that user and so product engagement score the goal there is so that you can understand underneath what is happening from a behavioral standpoint that cannot be biased. It's purely focused on quantitative information and gives you hopefully an idea of whether or not your product has high engagement, uh, whether or not it's growing at a very healthy rate, as well as are, are people returning on a regular basis. That's fair enough. And I know that you're, or that you have been, for want of a better phrase, drinking your own champagne at Pendo and using your own tools to monitor your own usage so i know for example that you use pendo analytics to monitor the use of pendo which is a bit of a kind of infinite loop thing going on there sort of inception or something like that (laughs) so are you using the product engagement score yourself already to measure the success or failure of initiatives within pendo or is it still too early for that we are absolutely using it internally we talk about it every other week at our company town halls we communicate out what's going on we tend to, we talk about it at our board meetings. We bring it in and we have discussions about it. I just had a quarterly business review where I mentioned our product engagement score and some of the concerns I had with it as it is today. Right now, because growth is so volatile, growth can change from a week to week, a quarter to quarter. I'm noticing that product engagement score can be a little bit more volatile. And so we're starting to have discussions about, well, is this the right metric? Do we need to tweak it here and there to make sure that we're still our customers are still getting the value that they need out of it again as i mentioned it is early but we have a handful of customers who have figured out who started to get every single product within their organization using the score as the single metric across the board and the best part is that we get to learn from them and their early discussions about is this meeting their needs or not yeah it's interesting though because traditionally when people are looking at metrics they tend to want the underlying methodology not to change too much because obviously that really interrupts things like trends. Mm-hmm. So I don't want the calculation to change every month because that makes it potentially even more volatile yep. or, or I have to keep like rebasing or recalibrating stuff. 
Is that something that's of a concern to you, or are you keeping it fairly similar, but just tweaking it so that it still tracks over time? Yeah, I think there will be a moment in time, probably in a year to two years, where we put a line in the sand and we say, this is product engagement score, it's not changing. But we're, we're not quite there yet. We want to be open to, to being able to hear from our customers and understand what is effective about this. How is it effect, you know, impacting decisions that are being made? And how can we ensure that this is, this is something that can work? I think I'm probably going to misquote the net promoter score data a little bit, but I think it took them about 10 years to, once the white paper was written, for it to actually get fully adopted across the board. And Hopefully, it'll be faster than that. You know, that promoter score is going to pave the way for, for these types of metrics, but it's not a short journey. So you spoke just then about the types of decisions that you can make off of this data as well and the way that you can use it to, I guess, optimize the product and so forth. Are there any examples that you have either from within Pendo or that you've heard from clients that obviously we won't ask you to name, but any decisions that have been made off of that score that have paid off or that maybe decisions that maybe weren't made, but when you look back and you look at the data, you think could have been made and would have paid off? Well, I'll give you an example of something that's going on with, you know, we, we want to help our customers onboard their customers very efficiently, effectively. And so we've recently introduced a feature we call core events that helps customers basically create quantitative measure of their aha moments so that they can then start driving their customers to those aha moments quicker. And so in product engagement score, when we look at the adoption pillar, it's using core events behind the scenes. And so through this score, we have learned basically that we need to to make adoption a little bit more complex. We need to figure out a way so that you can understand, are your customers fully adopting these core events meaningfully? Are they able to do this really easily. And so by having these conversations with our customers, we we have learned internally that, okay, core events, PES adoption, not quite perfect. We need to make some changes and we need to, to move it forward. So I think that's probably the best example that we have today of, of really understanding what our customers are doing, looking at our own adoption scores and our own core event adoption to understand we're not quite there yet. Yeah, but it is a good example of what you can do with it, right? Which is obviously a really good validation of your approach. But we've mentioned NPS, obviously, and that's obviously one of the fairly standard metrics that, as you say, people have been using before. I think it's quite ironic that NPS itself has detractors of its own. So, yeah, given the given how that score works, but right. <laughs> is that something? I mean, obviously, you can track NPS. You can do NPS surveys within Pendo and push those out to your clients and, and users and stuff like that. Is that something that you still use within Pendo or have you just kept it in there for old time's sake? I recently saw a tweet that it was someone asking, you know, or what, how, you know, how would you recommend NPS? And, and it was just crazy detractors all over the place. I am not a detractor of NPS. I think that Net Motor Score has its place. And this is one of our metrics that we look at at Pendo. We have a goal of where we want our Net Motor Score to be. We want it to be 40. The last couple of quarters, we've been at kind of that 35 area. So, so there's work that we're doing to understand small stuff that we can do, improve quality, and then some big bets that we can really hopefully get that score above that 40 range. And so it does drive a lot of the decision-making that we have. We talk about it everywhere. It's again, it's a number, another metric that we're, we're talking about at executive meetings as well as the board. 
I know you say obviously that you're kind of tracking both at the moment, but is the vision for the product engagement score that maybe that one day replaces the need for something like MPS, or do you think there's always going to be this kind of dual track? Yeah, I think that it's going to continue to be a dual track. You know, as I mentioned earlier, you have to have both gut and data to to make decisions. And I'm a firm believer that qualitative data is as important as quantitative data. And that promoter score really gives you that qualitative, subjective gut feel for your product. And I think product engagement score can be a little bit more of that quantitative, analytical, academic view of of the world. Fair enough. The creators and licensors of NPS can sleep easy for now. (laughs) But I know you're very data-driven yourself. You're obviously really keen on metrics and data-driven decision-making alongside gut. But aside from buying Pendo or subscribing to Pendo Free, how would you recommend product managers can become more data-driven? So imagine they're not today and they're relying entirely on gut. I know we spoke before this, for example, about not everything having to be perfect. You don't have to have the perfect metrics. You can do something. So what, what would that something be, the first step to try and bring more data into their lives and help them to make good product decisions? Yeah, you know, there's there's one feature that I used to use at Rally or one metric that we used at Rally, which was deliver more features. Every quarter we want, our goal was to deliver more and more features. And, and you can imagine what happened at that point is every single feature got smaller and smaller. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was meeting my goal, but were my users actually getting any value out of that? I don't know. I think the, the one thing, if you're in an organization where it's not a culture of, of outcome-driven development, it's not, you're not looking at metrics all the time, you're being told what features to build. Start with those features and say, okay, I have to build this feature, but but what does success look like for my users? What is that outcome I'm looking to achieve with this? Is this going to improve their lives? How so? Maybe it's a purely checkbox feature, which is completely okay. That could be the reason behind it, but just write it down and note, this is what success looks like. And then if there's you can create some aspirational metrics. You can say, for this feature, this is how I would like to measure it. Don't have that data today. So maybe here's how I'm going to measure it because this is what I have. And just get started. Be sloppy about it. It doesn't have to be perfect. The more you do it, the better you'll get. And I'd also recommend reading books about how to think about metrics. But obviously, the metrics you were just talking about there would be kind of lagging indicators because there you're looking at what the difference was after the fact. Are there any kind of leading indicators that you advise people to check out first to try and help drive preemptive decision making? Yeah, so leading and lagging indicators is a really interesting discussion. You know, as we know, net promoter score is very, very lagging. Product engagement score is a good example of a potential leading indicator. Stickiness especially, which is one of the key pillars in product engagement score, is an industry standard metric that looks at are people coming into your product on a regular basis? Are they returning if they come in weekly, are they returning daily? And you can use that metric either for your entire product or a specific feature to start to understand, are you getting the value that you need to get out of this? Are customers coming back to it? Are they, are they continuing to, to feel engaged with this specific feature? You have to have the data, of course, in order to do that. So the other you know, things that, you, again, you can do is just get on the call with your customers have discussions about the features, find out, you know, tell, ask them to tell you the 10, you know, the last time they used this feature, why they came in, what did they get the value that they achieved out of it? Try to get that data any way you can. Yeah, that makes sense. You also said before this call that you dislike too much process. 
So is product management at Pendo a complete free-for-all or have you just managed to find a nice balance? I do dislike too much process that is, as an accurate statement, but I, I also dislike chaos and I'm a pretty orderly person uh, or, you know, some people would say they'd be shocked if they heard I hate process. <laughs> I would say Pendo is just the right amount of process. I've been in organizations that felt very heavy handed in terms of all the things that we needed to do. I've been in actually most of my organizations, I think is, has, have been mostly on the heavy process side. Pendo, I think has a really nice balance of being flexible, being able to steer features in and out, but also having uh, the ability to make, you know, to introduce new process where it should belong. So as an example, we're just now gone through the exercises of becoming more outcome driven, you know, thinking about the metrics beforehand, maybe even hopefully one day deciding on the metrics before we even think about the solutions, uh, which is really the, the holy grail. Yeah, that's obviously... Yeah, I mean, I've worked for big companies and I've worked for small companies and they obviously have different types of process hierarchies and stuff like that. Have you ever managed to kind of wind back processes in any of your big process companies or has it always been a case of having to move on to maybe companies like Pendo that didn't have so many processes and you get to choose what to add versus being able to take them away? Yeah, I mean, in my last company... I was managing a team of product owners and, and process was really my key responsibility and my job. So I had a ton of influence in what we did and, and what we didn't. I would say that there were certain processes that we had to unwind quickly because it was a lot of meetings that, you know, if you're sitting in a meeting and, and you're only a couple people were talking and it's a status meeting, sometimes you, you have to recognize you're not getting the value and there's a new way to do so. And it, I was luckily in a position where I was able to start to unwind some of that and move towards a decision-making meeting that, that made more sense. But I would say that it is a huge challenge to, to rewind process. And sometimes it's, unless, you know, unless it's coming from the top. And so sometimes it's just, it makes more sense to, to cut and run and find the place that is better suited to, to your own culture. Somewhere where the chaos is unbounded, but not too much. <laughs> exactly. Now you've been in and around product management for a while now and obviously got to a really good point in your career so obviously know a lot about product management and you've experienced it in a few different places now i want to use that experience and imagine that after all this lockdown goes away or this pandemic goes away maybe on one of your monthly trips to raleigh because i know they'll have a good barbecue in raleigh you're at said barbecue and someone you've never met before comes up to you and says what do you do and you say well i'm a director of product management for pendo and they say well What's product management? How would you explain product management to that person? Well, it's funny you ask this question because generally what happens in those situations is they just change topics immediately and they don't ask any follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> but that, That's if you don't jump into a bush first though, right? That's true. That's true. No, product management is... I usually try to think about a, a tool that they've used in the past. So I think about Facebook and I say, well... You've used Facebook. There's a team of people behind the scenes that is attempting to understand how you use it, why you use it, and help predict the features that you're going to get value out of in the future. And my job is really to help that team of people make sure that we're building the right thing to solve your needs and, and why you decided to, to log into Facebook that day. There you go. Mark Zuckerberg couldn't have said it better himself. <laughs> I know. What's one piece of advice you'd give to that person if they decided that they wanted to pursue a career in product management? The number one thing I usually tell folks who want to get into product management is go read 
what you can read, go learn what you can learn, talk to people, find some blog posts, read. You know, we have lots of product management books out there that you can get and take advantage of and read and see if it's of interest to you. And then you know, start doing some exercises. Go and find your favorite product. Examine what you what problems you would want to solve with it. Maybe even read some reviews online to see what other problems exist with this platform and then and then try. See what, what solution you could come up with. I love the idea of just starting to do it, even if you don't have a job uh, in product management. Yeah, or just start your own startup or something. I mean, that's always a traditional way in as well, right? Oh, yeah. Where could people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you more about product engagement score or product management in general? Find me on LinkedIn, either using my profile, Steffi Tanner, or feel free to just search Stephanie Tanzer and connect with me and talk to me uh, about product. I'd love it. Excellent. I'll make sure to appropriately link that in. Thank you. So that's been a really fantastic chat. So thanks very much for taking the time and taking me through your career and some of the thoughts on analytics. It's obviously really interesting and something that's really timely for a lot of people at the moment. So hopefully some people find it interesting. Uh, hopefully we can stay in touch but as for now thanks for taking the time yeah absolutely thank you thanks for listening i hope you found it inspiring and interesting if you did again i'd love it if you could pop over to the website and sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and check out some of my other conversations with fantastic guests and share with your friends i'll be back soon with another inspiring guest but as for now thanks and good night